Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory. I'm Derek Cope, and we have Alicia Cope with us, and we are going on episode 36 called Women and Drag. So not drag as in drag queen, but drag as in drag racing, of course. But we wanted to continue with our women discussion from last week. There was a few more women that we wanted to talk about, but also wanted to thank our listeners for their feedback. We got a lot of comments, both on Facebook and on the website about that episode. And we were so thrilled to see that there were a lot of both men and women that were interested in the history of women in the sport and wanted to see more women in the sport. So one of which um, is one of Derek's top fans, Ryan Bishop, talked a little bit about his mom and she had quite an interesting story. Yes. Sharon Bishop was a race car driver uh, that started back in the uh, 70s, early 70s, and, you know, went through her struggles you know, with uh, the female barrier, you know, a women barrier. And so I know that she had ran the IDC series, which at that time was the International Drivers Challenge Series in the Pacific Northwest, which was a pretty elite group of racers and were very proficient. And she cut her teeth there. And then her husband, Bruce, uh, and Sharon had a Texaco dealership in Centralia. And that's how they funded their racing. And it was a, you know, it was just her and her husband, and uh, they had some, you know, other crew people that helped them. But, you know, they worked really hard. And, you know, this was before I even started racing. And then when I did start, I was racing against Sharon on the, uh, in the late model sportsman division. And then I actually drove her car one time. I don't remember the exact reason why. I either had a problem, something broke in mine or something, and then I ended up uh, getting in her car. And, uh, you know, we had, a, we had a lot of fun with that. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, it was, you know, Sharon went on to keep running some more uh, after I had left. And I think, you know, they finally, I think, you know, succumbed to, you know, not being able to find enough funding, right, to keep, uh, to keep going. And I think eventually um, stopped racing. But yeah, she was a, uh, you know, a great race car driver. She did a good job. She worked hard. And I know that, she fought her own battles, you know, because it was a, still at the time when women weren't allowed in the pits at uh, the cup races or the, uh, all the other races, you know. So she was still having, you know, to overcome a lot of a lot of things. So, um, but a really sweet lady, and Bruce was really a special guy, and really enjoyed, uh, you know, my time racing in that series. Yeah, it was great to hear from Ryan. So thank you for chiming in. And we appreciate all of the comments. There were a few that mentioned why we didn't talk about another woman driver. So I mentioned that to you, Derek, and that was Patty Moise. Correct. You know, Patty was, and I don't know why I didn't really mention her, because she actually was racing in the series, in the what they called the Bush series. And I had just 
you know, come into the cup series. And, you know, the time that she came in was, I think 1987. And I was running a limited schedule running for rookie of the year in the cup series in 87. So, you know, I was seeing her pretty much, you know, on a daily basis in the, at the races that we were going to. And, you know, Patty was very proficient. Uh, she was a good race car driver. She worked hard both in and out of the race car. And she was, I think she, you know, she probably had the most win, uh, races put together. I was surprised to see that. 187 starts, I believe, something like that. 133 Bush Series starts. Okay. And I think she had, I want to say she had been was in the Cup Series. And I want to say she had maybe, uh, I think, five uh, Cup Series starts uh, as well. And that's uh, quite a few for a woman even now, let alone back then. Yeah, that was from 86, I think, to 98 over that over that time frame. Uh, but she she had major sponsorship. Uh, she had Crisco on her car uh, sometimes. And I know that uh, she also had um, Dial Soap and Purex. So she had some of the brands, you know, I think those are P&G brands, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. But but they were they were on the on a lot of her cars. So you know, she really did a great job and, you know, she made a lot of inroads back then and she was in relatively proficient. Uh, she, it's funny thing about that, you know, she ran a lot of those times were her own teams, if I remember right. I, you know, I think that she drove for some people, but I think she ended up driving some of her own equipment and she ended up marrying Elton Sawyer, who was running the Bush series and, you know, now worked for NASCAR. And was, the, I think, the truck series director at some point. Uh, but, but Elton is a great guy. And uh, they, you know, they got married and had kids. But you know, ironically, she ended up selling her team in 1998 to Michael Waltrip. And that was Michael Waltrip's Bush series start when he was doing his own team. And Isn't that interesting? Yeah, obviously led to, you know, uh, you know, into the cup series for his own team. And as it, you know, as it went, you know, so, yeah. So that's how the that transition for for Patty, but um, yeah, just a you know a very a very nice approachable uh, woman, and uh, you know did a great job in the race car. So yeah, I'm sorry that I didn't really say that earlier, but um, I really didn't go into a de- in depth in a lot of the you know the female drivers, but um, definitely would not want to uh, not have her be mentioned because she was very proficient. Absolutely, and had a lot of starts, so she definitely was visible those years as well. She also, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but she did have some IMSA races behind her. So she had some road racing experience as well. Uh, and I think she was like only 16 years old when she started uh, in doing some races in the IMSA series. So she had quite a background and uh, made her way uh, in a very difficult um, sport at a time when there wasn't a lot of female participation. Right, right. And once again, had a family. So you wonder, it would be nice to interview her. You wonder if she would have continued had she not had the family. I know that's a question that we talk about a lot in that females feel a little bit more obligated to stay at home once the kids are born. Whereas today, things are a little bit different as far as the equality of of taking care of the kids. So I think a lot of female racers in the 70s and 80s, had they been born maybe 20 years later, might have seen a longer career. I don't know, but I would surmise to say so. I, you know, it's hard for me to really think back uh, what Elton was doing, you know, so, because there were two careers there and, you know, in simultaneously, right? So, you know, I don't really know 
what the dynamic was at that period of time. And, you know, when, you know, did, I don't remember if Elton just kept going and, and she kind of uh, went back and just raised the kids and, and was there as a supporter, a supporter of his But career. he works in NASCAR now. But he now, yeah, he left, he quit driving. And then, you know, obviously now is with NASCAR. So, uh, but yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to know more about her career and maybe we'll try to see if we can find a way to get her uh, on because uh, it was an interesting time in the sport and she had major brands on the car for majority of her years in racing. And, uh, you know, um, I think she was definitely, you know, um, a stable fixture in the sport and, and did a lot. I mean, so it did a lot for women in racing. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that we've left out a lot of names. I'm sure there is a lot of very talented women in the past and currently that we haven't mentioned, but we always welcome your feedback. And this discussion about females in racing will continue. And we hope to have some more um, guest speakers that are of the female variety in the future. But there's one thing that we need to talk about, and that would be the presence of females in drag racing. Yeah, I, there, that's true. And, you know, we kind of left out you know uh the drag racing side because you know you have a tendency to talk more about you know oval track racing or road racing because that's kind of what where we've been and where we're going you know but you know obviously we have alluded in some of the earlier podcasts about my you know drag racing background with my father and my uncles and you know i know that i love i personally love drag racing you not so much uh, but <laughs> well, I just don't think it's as entertaining certainly if I saw it live, I'd probably view it differently, but, um, and you and I will get, um, in more of a discussion about the actual talent that it takes or the physical attributes that it takes. But by far, there are a lot more females in drag racing than there are in any type of stock car racing. And I've always, you know, noticed that and, uh, wondered why that is. It's true. I early, I mean, there's, if you look back at the history, um, some of the early pioneers uh, that were women, really, and start, some of them started in drag racing. Paula Murphy, um, we she, there there isn't even a special. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or Prime or whatever, but there was a a, a deal done on female racers, and you know, I think it might have been even the Janet Guthrie story, but they allude to uh, Paula Murphy, and Paula Murphy was kind of an anomaly, really. She was very instrumental in the early stages and she was one of the first uh women in drag racing i'm not sure she was the first i believe um uh, somebody else was uh but uh, but she, but she was um involved and she was instrumental in it uh, i think she was like one of the first ones to have an nhra license possibly or the second uh and uh you know kind of set the tone and from there you know, if you really come into drag racing, when drag racing was getting, you know, its notoriety, um, it really was Shirley Muldowney. Absolutely. I was going to say, that's who everyone's going to know that name. Yeah. Cha-Cha, uh, you know, as she's, you know, fondly uh, known as. It, it's, it's uh, you know, the movie Heart Like a Wheel was done uh, about her and Connie Coletta and the bounty hunter. And though it was a, for me, I really enjoyed it because I came from that era and I came from actually going to the drag strip with someone named Bob Mitchell. Bob Mitchell ran a top fuel car back in the, in the uh, 70s, worked for my father in the engine shop. And, you know, he traveled with this car and it had one of the old Donovans in it. And I was, I think I want to believe I was 16 and I was traveling with Bob 
just some NHRA events, and I loved drag racing. We went, actually went on tour down to California and went to Orange County for a national event there. And uh, I, we ended up drawing Shirley Muldowney first round. Oh, you're kidding. No, much to our dismay. <laughs> uh, Did she beat you? Oh, yes. She, oh, goodness. She waxed our asses. <laughs> but <laughs> it was, it's something that I will never forget uh, because, um, you know, I remember working on the car and, you know, it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, to go and be, you know, first round up against Cha Cha, you know, and then to get waxed, you know, I mean, it was, you know, demoralizing at the same time but you know still i was thrilled just because you know you're out there racing against her and you know you got defeated first round but yeah it was uh, a special time but if you are you know looking at drag racing um it really is a sport that i you know i think you know a lot of people look at differently than others and you know it is uh you know something that is a very short time frame from when the race starts to when it ends. But you know, <laughs> you call it a race. Well, it's not really a race. It's, it is a race. There's two people it's side a match. by side. And if you were at the four, uh, the four, uh, the four way nationals here, or the they had the four lanes at uh, at uh, this past weekend in Charlotte here, right? And it's got you got four lanes at uh, you know um, at Charlotte Motor Speedway there, and uh, you know amazing things. I'm more of a traditionalist. <laughs> I do like only two lanes, you know. But you know, it's just so convoluted with four but you know if you if you look at where racing was at i mean obviously i think my love comes from my father doing it and you know you talk about and my uncle and so many stories uh about the early days i actually remember it was at ontario motor speedway and i i don't remember which one it was called if it was the summer nationals or the uh you know the spring nationals but it it was there and that's the first time I ever met Linda Vaughn, Miss Hurst. Mm. And Miss Hurst, Linda Vaughn, was something special, always has been. Well, and she still thought you were something special when she saw you at the Daytona 500 Club when I uh, started dating you. She came right up and laid a big smoocher on you. You know, to this day, one thing I can say about her, she's like Richard Petty. She does, I mean, she remembers people. And, you know, for some reason, I mean, I, I've stuck in, you know, in her mind or whatever, and she has never forgotten and always has been very pleasant. And, uh, you know, we've always spent time and talked about drag racing and obviously with, you know, winning the Daytona 500, you know, she, you know, has, you know, it's a lot easier for her to probably recognize me than, than <laughs> when I was 16 at, uh, the spring nationals or whatever. So, but anyways, I can just see you. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun time. Uh, you know, I can remember it, you know, and, you know, coming back. And, I'm sure you can. You know, you're red faced and, <laughs> you know, uh, your dad's, you know, giving you and Jerry are giving me hell, you know, but, uh, yeah, you know, that was part of drag racing and that's, uh, you know, it was a very personalized atmosphere and that's well, what and it still is. I love about Whereas it. NASCAR has gotten very exclusive. Whereas NHRA is more come one and all. Yeah, you're, it's up close and personal. And I mean, it really is one dynamic about the sport uh, that I think it has going for it. Plus, if you, go, if you actually go to an event, there really is nothing else like standing on a starting line or being in the stands and feeling the concussion that those cars create. <clears throat> you feel it all the way through your body. It really is amazing. Yes, I'm sure it is. And I think, too, you know, people like myself who, who prefer stock car racing, and I like the, the chase 
the manipulation of the car, the fact that the drivers have to have endurance and they have to know not only how to go fast in a straight line, but they have to know how to pass people. And I think that's where, you know, everyone's different as to what they like to watch and what entertains them. But what definitely does not go unrecognized by me is the sheer speed has got to just blow your skirt up. I can't, you know, imagine what that feels like and those G forces that are on you to go, what is it, three, over 300 miles an yeah, hour? Running three, I think they're running 330 now. Wow. You know, so that has got to be incredible. And as a racer yourself, you are addicted to speed. You like anything that's fast. But I have to ask, there are a lot more females in drag racing. Is that because, I mean, obviously it does take a toll on your body having you know, that much force on your body for a very short period of time. But, and you have to have guts. I mean, number one, you got to have some guts, right? To do that. But does it really take a lot of talent? Well, I think, you know, that is something that's, I think, relative. If you think about the things that it demands from you, it takes, you know, great eye-hand coordination. It takes great reaction time. Uh, you think about, you know, if you think about what the forces are traveling that length of, of, of time, you know, a quarter of a mile, you know, in basically three and a half seconds, you know, you are processing a lot and your eyes have to see a lot and you're going so fast and things happen very quickly and you have to absorb the same things in a stock car or in, or, in, you know, a road racing car, you feel it in your, in your butt and then your hands and you know, you are constantly making wheel inputs going that fast. And I mean, the slightest, you know, miscorrection and you're going to be, you know, in real trouble. I think it really, it's a different discipline. And I think that's the thing you got to put it in. You just got to categorize it as a different discipline. And, you know, and again, if everybody in the world liked the same thing, then we'd be in trouble. So, you know, everybody, you know, has something that they can take from it that they like. And something that they can, you know, say, you know, is interesting to them or intrigues them. And, uh, and the same with other, other forms of sport. Well, I get, I get that. But to play devil's advocate here, why are there so many more women and always have been? And currently, I mean, you see a woman on almost every draw, um, you know, when you're watching drag racing. So why do you feel the opportunity for women is so much more prevalent in drag racing than it is in in any kind of stock car racing? I think it's probably, you know, in the lower divisions, I think you can get experience in the lower divisions at a lot less cost. And, you know, there are capabilities to, you know, kind of work your way up through, you know, some smaller divisions and get a chance to get to where you're running an alcohol dragster or, or something like that, you know, or some type of a modified car. And, you know, the opportunities can get you there and if you can go out and promote yourself, you might be able to find the funding it takes. It takes less funding to run a top fuel car than it takes to run, you know, an Xfinity car or, a, you know, a, a cup car. Really? So, oh, yeah. It, I would say, I don't, I don't know the actual numbers, to be quite honest with you. But realistically, I mean, if you're doing a full-fledged top-notch deal, I'm, I'm guessing it's somewhere around $6 million. So going back to experience and starting young, there's obviously girls coming up in drag racing more so. I'm wondering if maybe, and I need to, I guess, ask, ask a, a drag racer, 
Why would that attract them more? Obviously, girls, by this you know sheer fact that there are a lot of girls in drag racing, they do have guts. You had mentioned, you know, maybe they don't have the killer instinct, you know, in NASCAR to go after somebody, run somebody down, rough somebody up. But as far as driving in a straight line, very, very fast, they definitely have the guts to do that. They have their fear factor is in check at that particular time. Yeah. I mean, if you really look at it, in my opinion, I mean, you going, you know, going 330, you know, in one of those projectiles is, you know, it's pretty impressive. And I mean, not that I've ever, I've ever done it, but I, I can appreciate it. And I know that if you look at the competitiveness, you look at, um, like Ashley Forrest, Courtney Forrest, Brittany Forrest, Leah Pritchett. I mean, Mole Downey was, I'm absolute. I mean, she was tenacious. Mm -hmm. She didn't care what Garlitz had to say. She didn't care what Perdome or any of those other guys had, you know, she was out there to whip their butts and she was mouthy and she was indignant. And she, I mean, she would tell it like it was, she was not going to, you know, pull any punches and she went out there and was able to back it up. And, you know, I think, you know, that's the one thing, you know, you can talk the, the walk, talk and, you know, and, and you got to be able to walk the walk and she did it and in dominating fashion for a long period of time. And I think it really did do a lot for, you know, women in racing across the board. I think, um, she was doing things of magnitude. And beating some of the greats in the sport. I mean, she is one of the fifty greatest. Um, in in and at one, I, I think in the beginning when when she went and had that deal, and the fiftieth anniversary thing is kind of how they do that. I think she was like top five. I mean, hit a guys like Kenny Bernstein, and you know, I mean, so pretty impressive. Wow. When you put her in that category, and you look at today, and you say that she kind of, I think there's always one person that kind of paves the way, sort of like Janet Guthrie. Right. I mean, she really did pave the way. Maybe didn't have the ultimate success. She couldn't find the funding in, in the IndyCar. In IndyCar. And and then made her way in the stock car thing too, showed she could do it. But Muldowney was able to find some corporate backing, you know, with Pioneer Car Stereo and, and some other, you know, sponsors and things, was able to to make a go of it for a extended period of time. And you looked at as things progressed. Then, you know, you had John Force, he had three daughters and it's like, like my brother, Darren, he had twins and he had three girls, same thing, three girls, you know, two of them were twins and one to race. And one of them had no, you know, no, no idea, desire. no desire to do it at all. And kind of like, you know, Zoe, you know, our daughter, you know, <laughs> my, you know, I mean, here it was. You just have three daughters. Well, yeah. Well, she. Three stepdaughters. Yeah, three stepdaughters. But I mean, when Zoe, you guys, you know, came back here and, you know, I remember us taking Zoe to, you know, you wanted to take her to the pit, you know, with her, her little friends or whatever and put her in a go-kart and, you know, not everyone is meant to do this. <laughs> and I can tell you. When Zoe, I remember you were so excited. You thought you'd have another little racer to, to bring up and she was not thrilled. No. <laughs> I can tell you, it was like watching paint dry. <laughs> it she was come down the straightaway. It was it, painful. It was painful because we had a party for, and it must have been 10 girls that were at that party, and she was dead last. And I don't mean just last, but <laughs> this was the slowest I'd ever seen a go-kart go, <laughs> I think, in my entire life. Well, probably not that bad. Well, it was pretty, <laughs> but, pretty slow. But 
one, you know, there's no great loss without some gain. You did look at me and you said, well, that just saved us a lot of money. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But some of these other guys weren't so lucky. I mean, you look at, you know, look at force, John force. I mean, the guy's done everything in the sport. Uh, you know, whether you love him or you, or you hate him. Right. I mean, he, he has given his life to the sport and he had, you know, um, Ashley came on board first and Ashley was, I mean, very, very talented. And I mean, immediately, you know, went right to the top and was a force to be reckoned with. And then Courtney and, and Brittany have follow suit. And I don't think Courtney's actually driving currently, but Brittany is at the top of her game and at the top of top fuel and setting records. I think this weekend she just went 336, a new speed record here in Charlotte. So, uh, you know, really, I mean, you know, you can't deny the fact that they're up against the best in the world and uh, is, uh, you know, and they're having their hands full with her. Yes. And then Leah, Leah Pritchett uh, is another one who, you know, in this current stage is probably right there. Uh, and she's in quality equipment. You know, she's now married to uh, Tony Stewart, uh, but she is in quality equipment and she you know, I think she was doing some stuff for Don Schumacher before and really was showing that she could, she could drive the car. She had the talent and, uh, she has a tenacity as well. And she's a good brand ambassador and seems to work really hard at that, uh, outside of the car and she's making inroads and, you know, she's another major player in the top fuel ranks. Uh, and so, you know, if you look at that right now, that's really the only to really top of the line. And then there's another, there's another uh, girl out there, Krista Baldwin. She's come in now and she, she came in for Chris Caramassini's. Chris Caramassini's is a legend in the sport back in the very old days. Um, he, he was called the Greek and he ran top fuel and, you know, always kind of on the lower side of things, but, you know, been doing it a long time and drove up until not that long ago when he handed it over to Krista. And Crystal Baldwin is doing a nice job there as well. And she's now the owner of the team and she's working hard to try to find sponsorship. And uh, she's had some good runs. She's gone some rounds. So, you know, good for her. Uh, but I want to talk about a few of the other names out there, you know, that maybe have kind of gone away, but I thought really made, you know, made some noise when they were in the sport. You're going to hear some names, Melanie Troxel. She actually married Tommy Johnson Jr., whom I know, and his father. Very great. I mean, they're just great people. And Tommy Johnson Jr., a great race car driver in his own right. And uh, they married. But Melanie did a lot of, I mean, she did a lot of things. She was on top of her game, you know, and she ran really well, both in Funny Car and Top Fuel, and uh, did a really nice job. And a girl a long time ago, um, cute little blonde, um, was running really well, Lori Johns. She was running a top fuel, did a, did a lot in the sport as well at that time. So, you know, from a top fuel, funny car perspective, those are the names that I remember being the real, you know, forces that, you know, were running well, could battle the top guys on a weekly basis and had some funding and, uh, were making, making inroads in the sport, you know. Another one that had funding was, um, Alexis DeJoria, who has done well. Yes, and that's the, I was just leading to that as well as far as the funny car side of things. You know, Alexa DeJoria uh, obviously is running exceptionally well right now. She's obviously funded well, um, but she is fast, and she has been doing a really good job. Uh, reapplied herself, I think, you know, on, on the tree, and she is she's she had a really good run this weekend uh, at Charlotte. So yeah, she's done a very nice job in the uh, in the funny car side of things right now. But you know, if you look at like 
where the big competitive females are at right now is really in the motorcycles uh, and pro stock. I mean, Erica Enders, when you talk about a pro stock champion, Erica Enders is named is synonymous with the sport. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she's there with the Glidden's and the, the Warren Johnson's and the Rara Morrison's and Ronnie Socks. I mean, she is, you know, she's the one, you know, she's a favorite too yeah. of most everyone. Yeah. And she has set the standard. I mean, right now and, uh, you know, really good in every facet of it. And, uh, you know, um, and then there's, you know, um, I think as far as, I think there's another one in pro stock. I, I think her name's Camry Caruso. I believe she's kind of new coming in, but she's doing a really nice job. She's really quick at the tree, does a nice job. So you know, there is an influx of more and more people coming into the higher ranks. And, and then of course you have, um, the mainstays in, in motorcycle and that's, uh, Angel, um, Sampri, uh, she, she was like, you know, really a dominant force uh, in the past and, and, um, Sampe, I think it is pronounced, but, uh, you know, you got Karen Stouffer, uh, Melissa Serber and Angie Smith. Those are the names in the pro stock bike category, which I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think I would want to be on top of one of them drag Those bikes. bikes are scary. I mean, they are, I find that fascinating to watch. Yeah. And, you and have to be a thrill seeker. Angel Savoie is, I think, her last name now, right? But but yeah, you talk about those those women driving a drag bike, those things haul the mail. And I mean, it is all you can do to keep those things going straight. And, you know, you have to lay a move over on to get them to, you know, stay straight. I mean, it's a, that's a deal. And, uh. But, and yeah, I mean, you know, so that Angie Smith, um, you know, Karen Stouffer, I mean, those are the, the two that, uh, with Angel that have run quite a bit there that, you know, seem to do really well uh, in a very difficult category as well. But so, you know, if you look at women in racing overall, there's a lot, a lot of women doing this at a high level. Yes, there is. You know, in pretty much every facet of the sport. And we even never even touched on, you know, other, I mean, other yeah, we haven't even touched world. on dirt. Yeah. I mean, you haven't touched dirt. I mean, and I don't even know dirt very well, so I can't really speak to it, but I know there is a lot of young women driving the, the dirt track midgets and sprint cars and stuff like that and have done very well, are doing very well. And you'll probably see them at some point, you know, you'll find one that will stand out and will get the opportunity, you know, for somebody to come in and give them an opportunity and or find funding and, you know, maybe she'll be the media or the social media darling and she'll find a way to procure sponsorship and get her chance to, you know, to get a ticket to the dance. So, you know, again, there's just so many variables and elements that make up whether or not they'll get an opportunity, an opportunity of significance and have the quality equipment and personnel to keep you there as a stable fixture for an extended period of time. And I think that has been the most difficult aspect when you look at female race car drivers as a whole, in my opinion. Well, and we talked earlier, I believe too, and especially if they want a career in NASCAR, is the distraction. They've got to want it more than they want anything else, more than a family, more than a husband, more than a career. And they've got to make that their focus. And there will be a woman that will come up and and will have the mainstay power to do that. Um, she'll have the grit and the tenacity to stay long enough to allow a career in NASCAR to be successful. Um, one that will, you know, surpass Danica Patrick's in terms of longevity, which in turn will 
you know, make the stats go higher. So I welcome that. And I hope that that does happen. I, I do too. Uh, I think that, I think obviously the world is prime for it. Uh, I think that corporate America, you know, would really get behind a phenom well, female race car driver. Yes, absolutely. And I think if you look at what they constitute, you know, as a phenom, right? I mean, when Jeff, Jeff Gordon come in, you know, here's a guy. Now you got the, you know, the, the Christopher Bells and you got the uh, Kyle Larsons. And then you got, you know, these guys that come in and make quick, you know, rises you know, to an escalation to the top. And then maybe they, you know, win in other divisions and, and they're making a name for themselves, but then they get the opportunity. And if you look back, and it doesn't always happen because, I mean, you've got guys like, you know, Greg Kinzer or, or uh, you know, Steve Kinzer. And, you know, you got Montoya and you got Frank Keaty and you got all these guys that come from all these different disciplines, right? And not everyone takes it to it and makes it happen. But if you look at youth and you look at, you know, the ability to adapt. And I think these kids now, I mean, they're getting in cars of magnitude at 13, 14 years old. Yes. And getting an opportunity to race in series. And racing many different series at the same time. Absolutely. And the diversity that they're getting the opportunity to do creates that phenom type of, I think, look, right? And the perception. Uh, especially if they're winning at a high level and they're going to places like them, they go to, you know, um, Tulsa, right. You know, and, and they win a midget race, you know, or they're winning and then all of a sudden they're, they're winning in Arca and then they're winning in, you know, a uh, world of outlaws or sprint. I mean, if it's going to take that kind of thing or getting into, you know, road racing car and winning those things, if you ever see that, I believe it will be Katie bar the door. I think you'll see everybody get behind them. Right. But, you know, like you see Beth Peretta, who is now in behind this IndyCar program, and she is trying to come up with, you know, uh, a female kind of orientated race team and putting, giving opportunity to females, you know, the world female, that racing league in Europe that's, you know, made out of the female drivers. There's more and more being done to showcase the potential of these drivers. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a shame that we can't get you know, more opportunity, you know, for them to really serve their apprenticeship, get all the things they need, you know, behind them, right, where they can be in simulators of magnitude and get the testing and get the opportunity to get the reps and then go through all the things like a Toyota development driver's getting, you know, with all the, you know, the mental aspects, the physical aspects, you know, the simulators, the psychological, the food prepping. I mean, when you get all of that at your disposal and you're 14 years old and you are being groomed for this, it's going to be important. But I think like you said, the one thing that has to happen is the commitment. There has to be a complete and utter desire to do this and nothing else, not let boys, not let outside influences, not anything else deter them and to be so driven that it's, you know, incredibly, you know, hard to get them to do anything else, right? I think it's going to take that commitment level, which I don't really haven't seen to a great degree. Not in that we've only seen one um, in the women that we've worked with. But I recall, and you talk about this in your book, in your ebook, Changing Gears, that you gave up so many things, you sacrificed so many things 
because you only had one goal in mind, and that was to make it to Winston Cup racing. And it's even harder for women. I think the world is ready. Like you said, I think we're ripe for this now. I think um, this country and NASCAR as well, they are embracing diversity. And I think there will be a girl that will see, hey, this is something that I want. And I now have the support to go for it. I think she'll have to be someone special, in my opinion. Because I think if you, if when you and I, I hear it all the time because I'm around men all the time. And they don't really get the respect. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. They don't really get. You mean you'll hear the jokes that they tell about the girls on the. They do. On the track. And it's difficult, you know, and again, you know, I've been around, you know, the female race car drivers trying to make their way. And I know, you know, I know that they want to do it. I know that they, you know, have the desire to drive the race car. They enjoy driving the race car. Um, sometimes you just, you know, you, you don't see the commitment level that it takes. It's got to be more than a hobby. It has to be more than that. I mean, it has to be life or death. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to you'll have to sell your soul. I mean, you've got to do everything you can do to make it happen. And you get, you ha- and as we've always said in the, in the podcast and in the ebook, it's a compromise, you know. You have to give up something. You can't have it all. No. And I think what happens is too many times when they get there and they get some attention, something goes right, and it will in a lot of instances. Something goes right, and the media, you know, seems to you know applaud it and back it and get supportive of it. And then you know Hollywood comes calling, or different people come calling, and sponsors come calling, and then all of a sudden something starts to tear down at it. And then they make conscious decisions that ultimately are your demise. Well, they get distracted and it, they it, get it afraid. Does. You do. And you listen to people and it is easy to not be able to stay the course and to have outside influences and people pulling and tugging and saying, here's what we need to do. Here's what you need to do. You know, And sometimes you're, you don't know and you're having to you know, figure out what is the next course of action? What is the next best thing for me? What, you know, in trying not to make mistakes. And sometimes, you know, some people just have their own best interests at heart and it becomes detrimental to the actual end game and the end goal that ultimately that you will pay the price for. And that's what I've always felt like, you know what, you better think long and hard about every decision that gets made. That's why it takes me so long to figure it out because you don't know what's on the other side. And honestly, you better have recourse if something doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Well, and I also think sometimes making a decision for financial gain would not be keeping you in racing. If we did that, <laughs> things could be very different. We stayed in racing. We always stayed in racing. You had a love for racing. You could have done other things that made more money but you chose to stay in racing. And a female is going to have to do that. Say a modeling um, contract comes calling, commercial, maybe she's talented in singing or acting. Those type of things might be more lucrative. But if you really want to be a professional race car driver and make your mark as a female, I believe that you're going to have to turn down those other money-making endeavors for the end goal. 
the one caveat to that is that that might be your only way to get a ticket to the dance. You know, if you have the opportunity to have those significant backdrops, you know, you know, contracts to do commercials and, and you, you know, oh, I, commercials and, and, are great. I'm talking a and, different career. Yeah. But a different career. But like, if you're, if you're doing, you know, and again, you know, we see it, you know, right now, um, with Tony Breidinger a little bit, right. She's got, um, she's got, you know, Victoria's Secrets behind her and I think it's Vogue. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she's getting a chance to do some of those things and that notoriety and that having access to those people and those followers and building those types of impressions that's being able to, and, you know, I don't know her, her family that well. I mean, I know her mom and dad and her sister, and they're very, they're wonderful people. I don't know their background. I don't know the financial capabilities to do the things that, you know, she's embarking upon. So if this is the actual necessity, nobody's gotten behind her and helped done it. She's done it on her own, you know, kudos to her. And, you know, she just has to stay the course. And in my opinion, you know, be careful who she puts around her. And, you know, make sure that it's about you and your racing and get better. Well, and and case in point, it has to be, you ask yourself every time something else comes about, you say, is this going to support my goal of being in the Cup Series or the Xfinity Series or whatever series it is you're going for? If that is the end game, you need to constantly be asking yourself, is this going to take me away or is this going to help me? And you have to be, you know, fame is fleeting, but fame is very attractive. And these kids can get caught up in it very quickly, but it can take you down a different path very easily. Well, fame and notoriety, all of those things come with winning. It's just a byproduct of it. If you are proficient in a race car and that's all you think about, and that's all you're going to do, if you can win and do it at the highest levels, all that comes with it. Yes. And so few drivers do win. I mean, as far as in a field of 40 NASCAR drivers, you're, you know, we're talking specifically stock car racing. It is difficult to win. There's a lot of drivers, men and women both, but, you know, some of them go their whole careers without winning. Well, I think to get to the highest level, you had to be winning a lot somewhere. Yeah, in the smaller series. In the smaller series. When you come up, like we talked about, you know, for me starting out in the Pacific Northwest, you know, 82, I mean, you're on the pole 13 to 17 times and nine wins. And, you know, those are the springboards that get you notoriety, get you, um, you know, perception in the marketplace and a platform. So I think most of the guys that make it here, they've done something significant to get here to this highest level in a short period of time. and. But the key is staying and finding enough money to do it. And when you fall out of favor or you don't have the right people, because there is a shortage of people there. These, some of these race teams hoard people. I mean, that's what Rick Hendrick and the Joe Gibbs and all, they keep their people, the Penske's, they're smart business people. They have all the best people. They pay them well. They support them well. And that's what makes you great for a long period of time. So, you know, trying to find a way to infiltrate that. And get yes. into a situation there when there's so few opportunities is it's it's monumental. It it's, is it is hard. So it's not for the faint of heart. And that's why I say a woman has to stay the course. She has to be young starting now, and she has to be able to get you know there quickly and be able to maximize every opportunity and get some 
quality groups behind her and uh and hopefully you know they're committed to her for the right reasons and you know she has a good support group and with that then you know, i think we'll see it happen yeah i so. hope so well it's been a interesting uh episode for us i hope you've enjoyed it uh you know i think we've dived into a lot of things and we obviously have I think some credibility in a lot of those respects, you know, because we together, Alicia and I have done driver development with the female race car drivers and my family's come from that. And, you know, I've watched a lot of the, a lot of it in other forms like drag racing. So I, it's been enjoyable to say the least. And I don't think it's going to be the last episode we do on it. I think we definitely want to bring in some female race car drivers, get them on the show as our guests, as we can move forward in that vein and get more of a personalized, uh, you know, thought from them about really how it has happened for them transpired and how difficult it's been yes and if you know of anyone that would like a female race car driver that would like to be a guest on the podcast please reach out to us at derekcope.club yeah absolutely so keep uh, checking in on race theory there'll be a lot of new exciting things coming up there we've got some things on the horizon uh that we'll be uh starting to showcase there as well and uh, we'll come out with chapter three here shortly for uh the the next my ebooks and so A lot of things to look forward to, and um, we hope you'll stay tuned and uh, keep an eye on us. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope 00 and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.